0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. So with all due respect to Jonathan Taylor, who is special, man, my man is special, flat out special, unbelievable back, and he's only going to get better. He is special. But with all due respect to him, he did not have the best rushing performance of the day. Nope. That honor goes to somebody who's even more special, Isaiah Stewart. Yes, the same Isaiah Stewart that we were talking about last hour. You've probably seen it, right? Detroit pissed in Isaiah Stewart. You probably saw what happened, but I'm not sure I've ever seen anybody in the 313 busting tackles, at least not since Barry Sanders. I mean, it's a story in two parts, right? Part one, LeBron. Part two, Isaiah Stewart. One part, pretty lame. One part, amazing. It all started with just over nine minutes left in the third. Detroit's up 11. The Lakers are having another bad night. Detroit's up 11. They're shooting free throws. This happened. We saw Zach Levine light him up, then Giannis, and then Jason Tatum. Tonight it's their number one guy, Jeremy Grant. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh, Stewart. Uh Stewart is hot. You know why he's hot? Because he's bleeding out on the floor. Hell yes, Stewart's hot. He was hot and he was just heating up. If you think that dude was hot at that point, he was about to go nuclear in a few moments. Now, to understand what went down, why don't we go to the facts? Stewart made contact with LeBron on the box out. LeBron struck back. Big time. And I'm going to say with intent. I don't know exactly what the intent was, but I'm going to say with intent referee Scott Foster called it quote unnecessary and excessive contact above the shoulder end of quote yeah thanks Scott thanks for that let me take it a step further I mean it 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 was cheap I I can't tell if his fist was fully closed but sure it appeared to be right It was a lot more closed than it was open. So if you got a closed fist and you swing it like that, that's with intent. That's with some hostility and that's with some intent, without a doubt. I'm not sure that LeBron thought to himself, you know what, I'm going to break this guy's face wide open right now. I don't know if that was the intent, except this dude's face was broken wide open right now. So I'm not exactly sure what the intent was, but it seemed like the intent was... To affect Stewart's head. That was some triple G Greg Williams stuff right there. Like affect the head. If you ball up your fist and you swing it, you are looking to affect the head. And the effect was to open the head up so lots of blood could pour out. So he's going to get suspended for it. He should. As I mentioned earlier, my take is if it were me and I was doling out the punishment, if it were me, and I were the commissioner, I wouldn't suspend LeBron for that. I would make LeBron sit down in a dark room and watch Space Jam 2 on a loop. Trust me, he'll never ball up his fist ever again and swing it on anybody if he had to do that. You know why? Because you need a deterrent. A legitimate deterrent. See, it doesn't matter if you're LeBron James or you're the last guy on the bench on a last-place team. If you ball up your fist, and you swing it, and you break open the other dude's face, you're going to sit. And you're going to watch Space Jam too, And you're going to watch it for a long time, and you're going to hate it because everybody does. But, 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 let's, let's be fair to LeBron. This is not Chris Paul we're talking about. This is not a guy who's got a history of dirty or cheap shots. LeBron's been in the NBA for like a century And he's only been injected twice. So obviously he got caught up. Obviously the frustration got the better part of him. Obviously that was a bad moment. Except it's not a trend. It's not a pattern of behavior. It's not something he's known for. I would expect better from him than that. But it's not something that he's known for. It's not like this guy's out there cheap-shotting guys or blasting them in the package over and over again. It's not like he's a guy who's running through picks with his elbow up over and over again. It's not like he's got a pattern of this behavior. What he's got a pattern of is making bad movies. Like Space Jam 2, for instance. But I know this. If you're going to be the goat or the alleged goat or in that conversation and everybody takes their cue from you, that's the bottom line, right? If everybody takes their cue from you because you're the guy, you can't lose your cool like that. I get guys throwing an arm when they feel like they've been fouled, but you can't do what he did. But this is not going to change the way this guy's seen. It's not going to change this guy's legacy. Just a bad moment, man. And it was dirty. And it was cheap. But it doesn't mean that he's a cheap shot artist or a dirty player. Now, moving ahead to Stewart. My man. Stewart obviously was not in a good way. He was not in a good way, and there was no doubt in his mind that there was intent. There was no doubt in his mind that it was dirty. There was no doubt in his mind that it was a cheap shot. And I don't want to hear from people that were saying, hey, man, he didn't really want to fight. He didn't want any part of LeBron. He was not looking to do anything at all. He only started to get animated when there was a billion people on the floor. Let me tell you something. You look at this guy, and you tell me if he's a fake tough guy, or if you tell me he really wanted a piece of the guy who swung that hammer fist. And everybody's coming off now.
1: Now, this is ridiculous. You got to it caught an elbow or something, but... Oh, yeah, he's, he's got a lot of blood streaming from the side of the eye. Look, here goes Stewart. Yeah, I think he's a little upset you've got coaches you got security guys look at Dwayne case He's like
2: just calm down and there's Cade Cunningham. Also
3: It was along the free throw line on the free throw And he's still
0: <laughs> trying to get loose. He is knocking over <laughs> I mean, He's out of the game without question. I mean this it's is like he's running through the line that's nuts. That's just yeah, crazy that's, right that's that's now. That's just
1: crazy. That's crazy right now. And both coaching staffs are making
0: sure that the players don't. I don't know come what I like best about further. that. This notion that he didn't really want to fight when he clearly did. Yeah. did, or the PA announcers saying over and over again, "All fans, stay in your seats. All fans, stay in your seats. We don't need another Netflix doc. We don't need another." 30 for 30. All fans, stay in your seats. Like they were going to rush the floor. Or maybe could have. Listen, don't tell me that this is just a guy acting like he wants to fight when he doesn't. Don't act. tell me that he's just trying to look a certain way. He's not trying to look anything. He's not trying anything. He's not trying to be tough. He is tough. He's not pretending to be pissed. He is pissed. There were like a billion people on the floor, and they could not do anything to stop this guy. He was looking for a piece of anyone in purple at that point. And again, I understand it. When you're bleeding out from the face like he was, when your head is cracked open, when you taste your own blood, you're looking for somebody— This is a guy that needed five stitches, according to one report, eight stitches, according to another report. And it's because of what LeBron did to him. So he was looking to have somebody else stitched up from L.A. Hey, man, I get it. I get where this guy's coming from. He felt like he got dotted. He felt like he got cheap shotted. He was standing up for himself. This dude was looking to leave the floor, but not before he took another body or 10 with him. But I got to be real about this. Here's the part that I don't really understand. The hell was everybody else doing on that floor in that moment? How was half the league on that floor and Stewart is still breaking tackle after tackle after tackle? Like, how did this guy get out there into open space? How was this guy running for daylight? How did somebody not wrap this guy up? Now, I know it's easy for me to say... But how in the world does Isaiah Stewart break free from, like, 50 guys to make another run at LeBron? And he didn't do it once. He did it multiple times. There were multiple times where he was contained by anywhere from 6 to 10 guys, and yet he continued to break tackle after tackle after tackle. I understand you want to keep your legs moving, but this dude was moving the pile. And nobody was pushing him into the end zone either. This guy was dragging dudes. This was Barry Sanders running into the line of scrimmage and then breaking out on the other side time and time and time again. There are some piston staffers in arena security who need to hit the gym. All right? They need to fuel properly. They need to get in the gym, and they got to start throwing some weights around. And also, they need to work on form tackling. Wrap dudes up. Wrap the hell up. Is there anybody there who knows how to wrap up? And how do you buy the all, I'm good, I'm good, I'm cool, it's cool, it's cool, fake out, and ease up on him, only for him to blast by you and put you in the ground. And I'm good, I'm good, no, oh, no, 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 leave me alone, man, I'm good, I'm good. And then he blasts right by you again, digs you again. Did he look good to you? Did he look like he was cool? Did he look like, no, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. Hell no, he didn't. Even when they practically carried this guy off the floor and into the tunnel, he was still looking for blood because he sprinted down the tunnel. I half expected to see him sprinting down the tunnel of the arena and run back to the court like the ultimate warrior. And can I tell you something else? At this point, at this point, this dude was running so hot. He no longer was only about trying to get a piece of LeBron I think this guy wanted to fight every Laker, and not just every Laker on the floor, but anybody who's ever worn a Laker uniform. I think this guy wanted to fight Laker Nation, Russ, DJ, AD, Kareem, George Mikan, Kurt Rambis. I think he wanted a piece of every Laker ever, all of them. Man, my man, Isaiah Stewart, he's all up in here looking for Mark Madsen, Eddie Jones, Eldon Campbell, Nick Van Exel, every member of the bus family. He wanted a piece of someone or everyone. My man didn't want all the smoke. He was the smoke. The only thing that kept this guy from tearing that joint apart was Cade Cunningham. The rookie saved Stewart a lot of money in fines and saved everybody else a trip to the hospital. Because I know for certain it was not going to be arena security that was going to stop Stewart last night. There were some folks out there making business decisions and deciding to go all matador on Stewart. Yeah, now I'm good. I don't need to jump in front of that dude and blow out an ACL or a lung. My man is about to rip LeBron bleeping James apart. Let me tell you about it. And I get it, man. Self-preservation. But some of these dudes were showing some of the worst open field tackling you will ever see. I'm talking about piston players, staffers, security, all of them. You know why? They know who they were dealing with. A guy who was pissed off. This dude is trucking dudes. There were dudes flat on their backs. My guys out there lighting up chumps and snot-bubbling suckas like he's Jerome Bettis. No wonder he's already a meme. No wonder we've already seen that clip of him breaking free from about a dozen people with captions like, me on Thursday when the turkey comes out. No dopes, nor do I need you sending that clip to me with some hilarious one-liner like Charlie and Lawrence at the drive-thru. Rex and Rob Ryan at Golden Corral. If you've thought of it, I guarantee I've already received it. I don't want to name names, but there were some folks on that court who were in the building solely to prevent something like that from happening, and they did nothing to prevent that from happening. Looked like a damn turnstile when Isaiah Stewart went running by. And I'm not in any way mocking this guy, man. I understand why he was hot. I understand why this guy was hot. His face was cracked wide open. So, was it dirty? Isaiah thought so. Was it cheap? Isaiah thought so. And by the way, I'm not going to argue with him. Braun got caught up in the moment, man. That clearly was frustration. Either frustration of the season, frustration of that game. Who, who knows what was going on in that guy's head? But I don't expect to see that guy do something like that. Because if a guy that big and that strong... Balls up his fist and he swings it. Somebody's face is getting cracked open if there is contact. And there was. And believe me, you want to know who did do their job? The public address announcer who said about 10 times, stay in your seat. Do not go onto the floor. Do not go onto the floor. Why? They don't need another melee. And two, oh Isaiah was going to take somebody apart. And if you got between him and any Laker, it was going to be your face. All right, so what's happening next? Suspensions. I'm sure of it. But what should happen next is LeBron should have to watch Space Jam on a loop. Trust me, he'll never, ever do that again. And now a message from Discover about rewards. If you're a loyal credit card customer, you should be rewarded for your loyalty, preferably with something that's useful, like cashback match, for instance. Discover matches all the cash back you've earned at the end of your first year. Finally, rewards that actually make sense. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com match. That's discover.com match. Limitations do apply got important business to tend to right now. We are joined by a forward, the Golden State Warriors, a three-time NBA champ, a two-time Olympic gold medalist, one of only five players to win at least three NBA championships and two Olympic gold medals, a defensive player of the year, a four-time all-defensive first-teamer, a national player of the year, a Big Ten player of the year at Michigan State. He was the 35th pick overall back in 2012. We are joined by Draymond Green. Draymond, it's good to have you back. How are you? I'm um, fantastic. Thanks for having me again, Jim. Dude, it's so good to have you, Draymond. Appreciate you. In fact, let me rephrase the question. Since it's been a minute or two since you and I have spoken, you've got the best record in the NBA right now. The team is playing really, really high-level ball. I know you got a little ding last night. Overall, how you doing? How is your life? How are things? Life is
4: life is great. I definitely got a little ding last night. Pretty short of day, but uh, in the grand scheme of things, uh, small thing to a giant. But life's great. Uh, My family's amazing. Um, Season's going great. You know, I always say winning cures all. Winning is fun. And, you know, so things are going great. I can't
0: complain. Dude, I love that response. It's a small thing to a giant. Draymond Green joining us. You know, winning does cure a lot of things. You were so used to winning. And then the team goes through a stretch over the past couple of years where you weren't winning nearly as much as you had in the past. What was that time like? And then how does it feel to be playing elite ball once again?
4: Uh, that time sucked. Um I had I had never lost like that in my life. So not only um was it a big change from what we had been doing the previous 5 years before that, but I, I just had never really experienced losing like that in my life. So uh it was it was really tough and it, and it wasn't fun. Um you know, you walk you go from walking into an arena every night knowing like eh, if we want to win this game, we'll win the game, you know, and, and then you go if the total opposite end of the spectrum of walking into arena every night, kind of knowing that you're probably going to lose that game. It was brutal. Uh, I always say people say losing is hard. Like the feeling of losing sucks, but actually losing is easy. And, And so it was hard to deal with, but I prefer winning any day and the stress that comes with that and everything that you put into the game to win.
0: Draymond Green is joining us. What a great response that is. You know, I'm looking at your credentials. I read them off the top. And as good as they are, and again, we're talking about you being Defensive Player of the Year in 16-17, third in the Defensive Player of the Year voting last season, despite being recognized as one of the better defensive players in the game year in and year out, I'm still not sure the average fan really appreciates the work you do on that end of the floor at your size. Draymond, guys who go six six are not supposed to dominate on that end of the floor. How have you been able to do that for as long as you have and what's your mindset and approach on that side of the court?
4: Well, Jim, I think the average fan also don't understand what they're looking at on that side of the floor. You know, we can all look at the ball go into the hoop and know, oh, man, that guy is scoring. But the reality is I see a lot of times guys score the basketball and it doesn't affect winning. It doesn't really impact their team in a positive way. But yet if people see you scoring the basketball, they're like, oh, man, that guy's good. Um as far as the defensive side of the ball goes, most people try to quantify it by steals or blocks, and you can't quantify defense by steals or blocks either because there's so much more that goes into the defensive side of the ball. And so for me, um, I know a lot of fans don't appreciate it, and you know I don't I don't get off on them appreciating it, so I'm fine. I don't you know judge myself based on what they think or what they see. I judge myself based on um, how I feel, what I see, what I know I can do better, which is, which I'm pretty sure is way, a way tougher scale than, than most people would judge on. So I'm fine with that. Um, as far as holding down the floor at 6'6", at six, six, uh, I think one thing for me, I've seen over the course of the years in this league, guys or teams try to play guys because they're similar in height at the 5. You know, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, guy at the 5. And the reality is, you have to understand what it is to be a big man in order to truly do that. And for me, um, although I've always kind of played point guard growing up on offense, I always had to hold the middle down on defense my entire life. And so I learned how to play defense like a big man learns how to protect the paint. And I think that helps me. I think that helps us when when we are small. And I think that's what's been the key to my success uh, on the defensive side of the ball and playing against guys that are much bigger than me, usually uh, by five, six, seven inches. um, Usually I weigh by 30, 40, 50 pounds. I think that's what's benefited me.
0: Talking to Draymond Green, you know, to that point, Draymond, when you say that other teams look at you and they look at a guy who goes 6'6", and they try and play him in that five because they want to have a similar success or a similar result, like, I think it's important to remind everybody, every single team passed on you in the draft, and then it was not that long thereafter that every single team was looking for the next Draymond. Like, what does that mean to you? And is there another guy like you? Is there anybody playing who reminds you of you?
4: You know, you know what, uh, Jim. I think for me personally, um, my goal when I came into the league, uh, when I came into the league, I was considered a tweener. And when you were considered a tweener, it was like a death sentence. Like uh, this guy's a tweener; he doesn't have really, he doesn't really have a position. That's what it was when I came into the league ten years ago. Um, my goal was to make the word tweener extinct because the way. The way people looked at it, especially the scouts, was a tweener is a negative thing. The way I looked at it, um, as a player was, you're calling me a tweener because I can do a bunch of things. And you know, you can't really say I'm a three, you can't really say I'm a four because I can do some of all of that. And yet it was looked at negatively. So my goal was to make that word extinct and try to create another path for guys to the NBA. I think I've helped I've I've helped accomplish that. Uh, Some other guys that I think are a lot like me, Um, a little bigger than me in size, but one guy I really respect um, his game, and, you know, it resembles mine now. The offense runs through him more. Uh, He scores a a bit more for his team. It's bam, out of by you. Not quite your typical center size as far as what we've grown to know centers to be. Uh, So would be considered a little undersized, yet can switch and guard anyone on the perimeter, can guard any post-up guy, uh, block shots, get steals, run the floor, can handle the ball, can pass the ball. Uh, So that's that's a a guy who I look at that would be considered undersized for his position, but still causes and wrecks a lot of havoc.
0: Raymond Green joining us. Got it. how weird is that, dude, that you just said, I'm 10 years in. Like, I'm telling you, if you really don't know where your feet are, you could lose 10 years. I'm thinking about the fact that you and I have been talking all the way back to your time at Michigan State. Oh, and speaking of that, mm-hmm. knowing that, I got to ask you, man, what was your reaction to the college football playoff ranking that had Michigan ahead of Michigan State, despite the Spartans winning head-to-head?
4: Uh, I think when you look at certain things like that, um, they, they they want attention, you know, so how can we cause a little controversy to get you to talk about this ranking a little bit more than you possibly would? And one way to do that is to put a team that just lost uh, in a head-to-head matchup a week prior ahead of another team that just went on the road and lost a tough road game. Um, the way I look at it is we, we have a golden opportunity. We still have Penn State coming into our house. We still have to go to Ohio State, and we still, you know, we take care of business in those games. We still got the Big Ten championship, and we'll be right back in the top four. We handle business. I have no doubt in my mind that the young fellas will handle business and get back there. But I thought it was utterly ridiculous that the committee decided to go with Michigan over Michigan State a, a week after they just they just beat them head up. Draymond and Green. By the way, yeah. Michigan played as good as they possibly could play and lost that game. So I, I didn't really understand the merit behind it.
0: I don't think anybody does. Draymond Green joining us for another moment or so. Draymond Steph obviously is doing Steph-like things and playing at such a high level right now. I'm curious, what, is, what are your expectations for Clay when he comes back and gets into a rhythm once again? How do you think it's going to look when he comes back? And how's that going to feel?
4: Yeah, Steph is otherworldly, man. He's incredible. Uh, as far as Clay coming back, um, I I want to keep my expectations for Clay coming back extremely low. So, um, as far as Clay coming back, what I expect from Clay is simply to cause and put a lot of fear into opposing teams' hearts. Uh, when you got Clay Thompson on the floor, the spacing that he brings to the floor, because you know he's lights out, uh opens the floor for all of us. But to try to put some expectations on a guy coming back from an ACL injury um, that was followed by an Achilles injury, I think is wrong. Um, I think we all see that this team has potential to possibly make a run, and we all want Clay Backings to expect him to come back as Clay Thompson, as if he just didn't have two possibly career-ending injuries. And so, for me. Uh, as his teammate, as his brother, as the leader of this team, my expectations are extremely low, and not because I don't respect Klay Thompson and know what he brings to the table, but more so because I know everybody's expecting and going to put the pressure on Klay Thompson to be the Klay Thompson of old right away. And I don't, I personally don't think that's physically possible, and even if it is possible, and one, the one guy that can do that and is tough as nails is Klay, then let him just do that on his own terms and not us forcing him and wanting him to be something that he may not be able to be right away and, and missing the last two and a half years of playing basketball.
0: Draymond Green, my guest. Hey, listen, I don't want to get greedy, but just a quick follow, if you don't mind. When you mentioned that Steph is just uh, like otherworldly at this point, I mean, you, you know this guy. You've lived with this guy. You've run with this guy. You've won world championships with this guy. And even to hear you say it right now, to call him otherworldly like what's it like to run with him now and see what he's doing now
4: i think for me to see what he's doing now is even more impressive than what he's doing before Uh, and here's why i'll say that here's why i'll say that um number one the defenses that he faces on a nightly basis are totally different than what they were before he's always seen blitzes and traps but like at this point teams are blitzing him at half court because he shoots the ball from so far out you know and so i i I don't think there's anyone in the NBA, and I love to see a stat, that commands a double team as much as he do. You know, you have great scorers in the NBA. They don't get double teams just coming into a game. Now, you get guys that get hot. Anthony Edwards, for instance, last night, uh, who is going to be an incredible player in this league, he got it going. We started trapping him, right? Steph Curry comes into the game facing a trap on his very first and roll. And so I just think what he does to defenses and the way they're, they're covering him. And yet he's still able to produce the way he's producing is incredible. I think, um, with, with, with Steph, he's 33 years old now. He'd be 34 in four months. Um, to still be playing at this level and it seems to be getting better is, is insane. And I think for me, most importantly, um, there's two things. Well, there's one thing, but it kind of combines two. He's gotten so strong, and just watching the work that he puts in on his body each and every day has been impressive. And with that added strength has become a much better offensive player, but more importantly has become a much better defensive player. You're not moving him off his spot. He's not a liability on the defensive side of the ball. Guys try to go at him. He's getting stops. He's getting steals, and they're not steals playing in the passing lane there still is a guy trying to go at him. He takes the bump. The guy gets stood up. He knocks the ball away. You know, and so I think for me, um, as great as he is offensively and as much better as he's gotten offensively, It's what he's doing on the defensive end that no one's talking about that I think is even more impressive than what he's doing
0: on the offensive end. I think what I just heard over the last 15 minutes or so is just incredible. Like, incredible stuff. You and I have done this a lot over the years, Draymond. You, not it, you have never been better than today, and you are always good. I want to reiterate, too, Steph's on record as saying that you are, quote, the smartest basketball player I have ever played with. He said that about you. Draymond, I did not Thanks. mean to keep you so long, but, dude, you were rolling, big man. I had to stay out of your way. I appreciate you. It is so great to have you back on the show, Draymond, and really good to talk to you, man. Thank you so much.
4: Thank you, Jim. It's always a pleasure and an honor, my friend.
0: You too. A pleasure and an honor. Hey, let me ask you this. Does this sound familiar to you? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another one that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's log in for all the good stuff. Well, let me tell you about a very simple way to get all that entertainment that you love without all that hassle you hate and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called DirecTV Stream. It brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes, no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there is no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content does vary by package. He is the head basketball coach at UCLA third season with the Bruins he led them on a magic run last year to the final four first time in 13 years 2020 Pac-12 coach of the year 2018 sporting news national coach of the year three time conference coach of the year UCLA 1-0 they're number two in both polls and they have got an enormous game Friday night which I absolutely love Mick Cronin is my guest Mick it is great to have you back how are you Mick? I'm great, Romy. How you been, man? Good, good, Mick. Great to have you on. Really good to talk to you. There is so much to cover, including the season opener last night, and Santa Anita, and more, but let me start with that win over Bakersfield. How did it feel to be back on the floor playing meaningful games for the first time since April, Mick?
2: Well, just to have the fans back, Jim. I mean, gosh, last year was just... It's really hard to describe unless you were part of a team that was in a bubble-type situation all year. Uh you know, eating meals on the road in your room by yourself, (laughs) coming every day to COVID test every morning, and then running out to play games in big, beautiful, but empty arenas. So it it was just, for me, just to have fans there uh, and and have our kids have some sense of normalcy, because unlike us, we get to do our jobs for a long time. These guys have a short window to enjoy college basketball. The students and the whole, you know, the pageantry of it all is – you know, Keith Jackson used to say when he, when he did the Rose Bowl, right? You know, that, that, that's what made it special. So having everybody back. Uh, you know, just cheerleaders, band, all that above, was was uh, it was great to be back.
0: It's got to feel so good to have that energy, that buzz, that juice in the building. And you know the players feed off that too, obviously. Mick Cronin joining us. Mick, let me just jump right into some philosophy. After the game, you were talking about the fact that you've been working on this notion, this concept that whoever gets the defensive rebound is the point guard. When that's working, what does that approach mean? And how does that open things up for the rest of the team?
2: Well, I think we all know in basketball the numbers tell you you shoot the highest percentage in the first 8 to 10 seconds of the shot clock. Now, that doesn't mean because you come down and take a bad shot 5-on-5. It means when you do shoot it in the first 8 seconds, it's because you got the ball up the floor and got something quick and easy against an unset defense. So Friday night we play Villanova. If, if, If Jay Wright gets his defense set, Uh, The only guys he's going to put in the game are guys that defend the way he wants. And they have a scouting report. If they get their defense set, it's just so much harder to score. So uh, the the advantage of our style, we play four guards. Jaime Jaquez is our biggest guard. Uh, We bring in Jalen Clark, a rebounding big guard. So it eliminates uh, your point guard having to come back for the ball, then I have to call a play. So if we can just get get it out, bust it out and up, and attack a team while they're on their heels. Your chances of scoring, the analytics tell you, just go go way up, Jim. I mean, way up.
0: We're talking to UCLA basketball coach Mick Cronin. It's a great explanation. Since you mentioned Jay Wright, let me skip ahead. Mick, you and Jay used to battle. Used to battle Mm -hmm. in the Big East. What do you remember about those brawls?
2: Oh, my gosh. You talk about... I think one time you would have thought that we were paying our players a hundred dollars for every dive on the floor. Mm. Like there was more dives on the floor in those games for loose balls. Um, I it, mean, it, it was it's amazing. Guys didn't get hurt as much as it was going on. I mean, it, it's just that that's I know what they stand for. I used to say this. In the old Big East, 16 teams, nobody played harder than Villanova. And When I was at Cincinnati and I took over in 06, I knew if I could get my team to play as hard as them, we would have a chance. Um, and we got to that point, and that's why we, you know, we were able to go on a run a nine straight tournaments. So that they just – you know, you hear coaches and in sports, all sports, right, Jim? As you You do this for a living, talk about culture. Jay Wright has – culture he his he has a coaching staff uh, because they from his coach down to his players his assistants everybody believes in the way they do things and they talk about it nonstop. that the way they do things works and that's why he's had unbelievable success
0: yeah I'm not sure that I've ever had an interview with a coach that did not mention culture and I don't think it's something just to say Mick I believe in it I get it I understand it and if you have a culture and it works and you have a complete buy-in from everybody top to bottom, you're going to have a lot of success like he has. I couldn't respect or admire that matchup this Friday night any more than I do. Like, Pick, what does that say about both you and Jay that you both want this game? And then how much does a game like that fire up your players all off season and ensure that they remain locked in?
2: I think you make a great point, um, you know, our guy. There's no question our guys know that. You know, they've known this game was coming. Uh, you know, I think first of all, Jay, you know, Jay and I, when the Big East broke up, we talked about playing, and he looked at me because he, he goes, "Why would we do that to each other?" You know, we've had enough of each other. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know enough, enough, you know enough cage matches. So. Um, but now, you know, with, with uh, you know me being at UCLA, our program being where it's at, Jay's won two titles since we last played. Uh, you know, it's just a win-win. Look, you want to win the game, but um, you, you look at games like, okay, our fans want this game. My players want this game. And recruits want to play in these types of games. So it's all, you know, it's all plus-plus. Uh, you know, when you got a really good team, why, why wouldn't you play a really good schedule? I mean, it's just... Uh, there's no point in, in, in not doing it. You don't want to make a schedule you can't handle. Uh, so well, you know it's it's just going to be a great event. Now I'm sure I will, you know if we lose, I'm going to wonder what the hell I scheduled over for. But I I know at the end of the day, look, we're all about March, right? That's what our sports about. And the, you know the, this game's going to make you better, win or lose.
0: We're talking to Mick Cronin, UCLA head basketball coach. No doubt, Mick. Cody Riley, Mick, appeared to suffer an injury last night. I know right after the game you did not know the extent of it. Do you have any clearer sense of what it was? And what was your reaction when you first learned he was hurt?
2: Oh, no, well, I was out there holding his hand, man. I didn't even I didn't worry about the timeout or what was going on. You know, he's come such a long way in his time at UCLA. He's going to graduate. He's, he's helped the program, uh, you know, back to the glory days of the Final Four uh, and the top ranking. And I couldn't have done it without him, so my heart was broken when I was out there, just making sure he could relax so but uh you know we're optimistic we're waiting on an m r i result right now to to uh give you the truth, so still waiting uh hopefully it's a it's a sprain and you know but i, I would say he's probably out friday i mean you know which you just back to UCLA, I mean, we lost guy we lost two starters during the season last year, so um you know, since I have had a run of bad luck with stuff like this in the last couple of years uh, at, at UCLA, but we got plenty of guys, so it's just going to have to be somebody be somebody else that steps up.
0: I get that, Mick. You know, when you talk about UCLA, there's a certain way and a certain process and a certain thing that you do or the way you approach it at UCLA, for instance, you told the athletic quote, you play to win at UCLA and you make the right play or you don't play. It's real simple. The hard part is having the conviction to actually do it. And I do end a quote. So let me ask you, why do you think having the conviction to do it is the hard part? And is that conviction, something that comes naturally or do you have to keep working at it to create it?
2: Uh, that's a, it's a great question. So, uh, I'd say uh, it does come natural. For me, experience tells, you know, young, when I was young, I thought I was a tough guy. Now I'm just uh, getting older and I have experience. And what experience tells you is uh, that if you don't do things the right way in any in any walk of life, you know, that if you're not prepared, you don't work hard and you don't do the things that, that you need to do to have success, you're not going to win. So I think, you know, mist- mistakes that I see made uh, are coaches that, um may maybe won't uh will sacrifice things to appease certain players or people and next thing you know they've totally lost their culture and they're going you're going to lose i mean it it never works ever it never works so uh and sometimes it, it, it's it's tougher than others and the bright lights of LA you all I was alluding to in that is you have to be even more convicted because to your beliefs. Cause it'll be, they will be challenged even more. For instance, do we need recruit X recruit X is high ranked and he, you know, blind, but you know, got to have recruit X. Well, if recruit X doesn't want to play to win and he, you know, he doesn't want to buy into the way we do things at UCLA. I don't need recruit X recruit X is only going to cause me problems and tear apart our culture and ultimately, and it lead to my demise. So, uh, you know, it's just – I think, you know, the, the great coaches out there, um, not to compare myself to any of them, um, they, they they know these things.
0: Yeah, I, I absolutely would compare you to them, and you know these things, and I agree with what you're saying. See, now, Mick, the challenge that I have, Mick Cronin, my guest – When I host a nationally syndicated program, the challenge is, if I've got several hundred radio stations across the country, how do I talk about things that appeal to the greatest base of people, the broadest base of people? I understand this coming in. I'm about to ask you a question that not that many people will relate to or understand or even be interested in, and I don't give a damn because I know you get it, and it's still my show— I've waited long enough. You had a three-year-old, Philly, so very smart, win at Santa Anita a couple of weeks back for her second win. I know what this feels like. I know what this represents. I need you to share it with me and the others, and they probably won't get it, but I want to ask you, what was that experience like, the win, and then being involved with that particular Philly?
2: Well, she's a great, and this is where you understand, because you've been to the backside of the track, and you understand that. Um, you know the, how cool horses really are. So you know she's super sweet. Uh, I got pictures with her, petting her down at Del Mar in August, um, giving pep talks to her where she she ran second that day. And not only did she win, Jim, when it went in the media, she won back eight days later. She's won two in a row, so wow. a little, she's rested up now. But. You know, there's, as you know, man, there's nothing like, uh, you know, there's nothing like the exhilaration of that, that minute, 10 seconds, you know, and your horse is running and you're excited. And it it brings people together, you know, the, the, the people that I've met, I'm sure you know, like I've become friends with Bill Strauss, uh, you know, uh, the, of the Pample Moose from Del Mar, you know, and it's just pro flowers. He's just a great guy. He owns part of Hot Rod Charlie. You know, all walks of life come together uh you know at at the racetrack and it's just it's just to me it's all about the horses and you know sometimes the game gets gets a bad rap at times but everybody i know around the horses uh that that especially doug o'neill and his team that have most of mine that they 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 love they, they love the animal and it's just it's i love going out in the morning that's my favorite part i don't know about you
0: the morning is great And, you know, I've missed it. During the pandemic, Mick, you couldn't get around there, and it was kind of hard to do. The mornings are tough for me since I work in the mornings. But on a Saturday morning, I'll go out there. When we talk about the morning, we're talking about when the horses train and when they work. Of course, I know Bill Strauss. Bill Strauss, Mick, was one of our partners on Ms. Direction who won Uh, two Breeders' Cup races. So I know Bill really, really well. I've partnered with him on number of horses, yeah, I mean, I I could go on and on. We've got a homebred named Gijetta who won a two other than, and she came from seven lengths back, Mick. And I'm not going to say it's like your kid did something incredible because nothing's (laughs) that good, but I'm telling you, I I love, I'm in love with this horse. Like, it's one of the loves of my life. And when I see a horse come running from seven lengths back and win at the wire, it's almost impossible to even describe how good it is if you love the animal. So, But I know you understand, so that's why I bring this up. One last thing, Mick. You and I have talked in the past about fashion. You were back to rocking the suit last night, which I loved. I love seeing that because not every coach is going to go back to wearing suits. Lay it out for me. How did it feel to be back in a suit, and are you going to keep doing that? What's your approach?
2: Well, I'm 100% uh, back to suit and tie. Um, first of all, when you coach at UCLA, you're, you're, you're sitting in Coach Wooden's seat. So, uh, you know, suit, he was suit and tie. You better, you know, you better be suit and tie. That's how I look at that. <laughs> but, you know, personally, uh, like my, my view of a, of a coach growing up, you know, my, my dad, you know, my dad in the 70s, man, they had those fly leisure suits with the big collars. But, you know, to me, and as as I got older and I'm watching, man, it was Pat Riley and Showtime, you know, it's like, hey, man, I'm going to Hollywood. I'm not wearing a pullover. You know, right. it's time to step my game up. I got to spend some money when I came to UCLA. And, and uh, it, you know, I, but in all seriousness, Jim, you know, I think I'm hoping someday all the coaches will go back to it. And he- here's why uh, I, I think that we're in a leadership position. Um, I, I think that it sends a message about that, that we're, you know, whether like we're a school teacher. Uh, you know, we're not just a coach. We're not just uh, you know. It's not just run up and down and get points. We represent more than that, uh, and that's just how I look at it. I, I think it bring it, it. It adds to who we are. It accentuates who we are in our role uh, for our players and our campus community. And I and I, I know I'm look. I'm not popular with this because there's there's probably only going to be a ten or twenty guys wearing suits out of 350 this year, but. Uh, I know it's more comfortable and it's easier the other way. I just think it's, we're in too too important of a position to, to not dress up.
0: I right, see so you and I are in the minority. I feel the same way. I love it. I always dress it up, and I, I'm not – I'm not judging anybody else, and maybe you and I are the boomers, we're the old guys, you don't get it, but uh, I feel the same way, and I'm not I'm not rocking sneaks with my suits when I go on TV, just because I'm more comfortable putting on a nice pair of shoes, old school. I'm not saying I'm right, that's just the way I feel about it, and I agree with you. Yeah. Mick, one I'm last thought, you. the program. Hey, hey. Yeah, go Even ahead. To
2: each their own, right? But, right. You know, don't. my thing was, you know, coaches tried to recruit me the other way, and I just said, look, I'm not. It's not going to happen, and I have my reasons. But doesn't mean you're, you know, if you don't want to dress up, man. Hey, trust me. Hey,
0: Mick. By the way, by the way, it's a hell of a lot cheaper to go the other way, man. We, you and I'd be saving a lot of money if we went the Damn other right. way. But we're showing up a certain way, and we feel like we can represent ourselves and who we work for and our families and everything else i have to ask you this really quickly and i've kept you a long time but i know the program is doing a documentary series on the basketball team it's going to air on youtube and social media i know you're focused on the job and the next game but when people watch the series and they meet the guys on the team what do you think they'll come away thinking about ucla basketball and the players you have
2: well that's why i think it's important um, first of all, that's the way of the world. People want behind-the-scenes access. They do. Uh, that's how you draw more fans in. That's how you build your following. Uh, we have great—you know—we're in Hollywood, so we have great people behind the scenes doing this stuff that are super talented. So why not? Uh, but what what they're going to find out, I think, is the most important thing is you watch a game and it's you, 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 these guys are humans. They're real people, so they're not just a guy. Uh, that, that didn't make a shot that you're mad at because he didn't cover the spread because you bet you know you bet sixty to win fifty on a game so you know these are humans these well are done kids Mick re- <laughs> you know they're real they got real stories as you know Jim they're, they're, and they're working hard what they'll see is why we were able to go on the run and get this program where it's at when they when you watch this because you're going to see how, you know some seriously intelligent kids with great character they're. Uh, really sharp, and you'll see why why we were able to go to the Final Four if you watch it.
0: I'm anxious to see it. I ran down the resume at the very top. It's too long to run down once again. He is the head basketball coach at UCLA. They were in the Final Four, and there is a big one coming up on Friday night, number four Villanova at number two UCLA. Mick, I appreciate you personally. I appreciate the conversation. Always great to have you on the show. Good luck this weekend. I know you and I will do it again soon, Mick.
2: Absolutely, Romy. It's great to catch up, buddy. Thanks for having me. You're the best, Mick.
0: You're the best. Nobody better. Appreciate you, Mick. Always good to have you. Clones, what do we do when we're craving protein or we need more energy? Let me answer that by telling you what we don't do. We don't reach for a bar or a sugary snack or an energy drink. No, we want beef, pure and simple. So where is the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Nope. Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. So it's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein and it comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest that goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach, anywhere at all. Old Trapper is in a clear view bag so you can see the quality you're buying. So look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, Ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? So again, the NFL is wide open, like any given Sunday, right? So who, in fact, is the best team right now in the NFC? Who is the team to beat in the NFC, especially after seeing the Rams get curb stomped again last night? It might actually be Dallas. It might actually be Dallas. And that's not some contrived angle for some Hot Factory, Hot Take Factory that airs in the AM. I mean, that's legit. They may be the ones to beat because there is a hell of a lot to like about Dallas. Dak Prescott, CD Lamb. Amari Cooper, a running game. They've got the number one scoring offense in the league. And that defense, which was a total joke last year, is so much better this time around. They've got actual playmakers on that side of the ball. Micah Parsons, essentially unblockable right about now. Trayvon Diggs has been a Hoover in the secondary. Like, they've got a lot of what you look for in a Super Bowl contender. So I know you're probably thinking, hey, Rome, if you want to crown their ass... Crown their ass. Crown their ass. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to. And there certainly is something keeping me from doing so. So what's keeping me from crowning their ass other than there's a lot of football still to be played? Or what's keeping me from saying, you know what? They're the ones to beat right now in that conference. Two words. Mike McCarthy. That's why. Two more words. Monkey butt Not even emotional support, monkey butt. Straight monkey monkey butt. Monkey buttocks. Thank you, Albie. Monkey buttocks. So why am I talking about Mike McCarthy and monkey butt? What is monkey butt? Because my guy went all motivational speaker with it yet again. You remember last year when he tried to get his team all fired up by busting up watermelons, Gallagher style? One of the lamest motivational ploys ever. I mean, what Cowboys player wasn't going to go to war for Big Mike after seeing him smash a few melons? Then again, this is the same dude who spent training camp hyping Austin Powers. Like, the big fella's really cool like that. This dude knows exactly what buttons to push in a room full of alphas. Yeah, well, he was deep in his own bag once again. Instead of me trying to explain it, I'll let Tom Pellicero do it instead.
1: Mike McCarthy always has different motivational tools that he brings out at specific moments where he feels like you need it during the season. Last year, it was the Gallagher routine, smashing watermelons in a team meeting the night before they beat the Vikings. Well, this past week, coming off that ugly performance against Denver, McCarthy dubbed it R-A-W, meaning Red-ass week. In other words, get mad. Take it personally, then get out on the field and take it out on the Falcons. To reinforce that message, McCarthy actually had staff going around the locker room and handing out monkey butts. What is monkey butt? I'm glad you asked. It is an anti-chafing powder. It's got a variety of different uses. For instance, if you're sore from, I don't know, getting your butt kicked like they did last week, get yourself some monkey butt. Well, the Cowboys players got a kick out of that. They certainly got the message, went out there, and did their thing yesterday.
0: I wonder if they got a kick out of that. Like Tom Pellicero is an amazing reporter, but I, I wonder if they got a kick out of that. Like... This is now my raw, red-ass week. Like, I'm not even a member of the Cowboys. And I didn't get my ass kicked on the field like they did. But I guarantee my personal ass is redder than any of theirs because that has got to be the dumbest motivational tactic ever. Imagine being an NFL player, and you're trying to get ready to play a game of violence, a game of speed, a game that is the equivalent of countless car wrecks in a row trying to get your body, your head, your mind right for the game. And this guy's walking around doling out monkey ass. Monkey butt. Get it? Monkey butt powder. It's an anti-chafing powder that you put in your butt when it gets red from the monkey, ass monkey, kicking monkey, that the Broncos monkey, gave monkey, you. Monkey, get monkey, it? Monkey, like, hey, 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 yo, Dak. Let me help you apply this monkey ass to your cowboy ass. And yes, I know that they did beat the Falcons on Sunday, but that's just it. They beat the Falcons. You know why they beat the Falcons? Not because of the monkey ass. They beat the Falcons because they're the Falcons. And not because the big fella is some kind of legendary motivator. Literally, the only thing keeping me from saying that they're the ones to beat in the NFC right now is their coach. Because my man is running around looking to motivate grown-ass men by giving them monkey butt powder. Monkey butt. The hell do you go after that? The hell is next after that? Because you know he's got something in mind. You know he's going to break it out when they need it least. And then he'll do something weird like... The clock management deal he had in Philadelphia earlier this year. Or that time where he couldn't even find the clock, which happened against the Chargers in week two. Or he's going to smash out some watermelons or hand out some monkey butt. Monkey butt. Hey, Cowboy fan, you go ahead and tell me the big fella's got everything under control. That a guy handing out monkey butt. Monkey butt. Because it's red-ass week is actually a genius motivator of NFL talent and not some corny-ass manager of the local Radio Shack trying to hit his sales quota. You tell me that. You tell me what's going to happen when he gets into the postseason and he's got to go up against somebody like, I don't know, Bruce Arians or Sean Payton or anybody else wearing a headset. Who are you going to give the advantage to? That guy or old monkey butt? Monkey butt. All right, so from the very first moment I sat in my X chair my body immediately went, ah. This is what a real office chair is supposed to feel like. <laughs> I mean, like, I never actually looked forward to sitting in my office chair until I got my X chair. That's how amazing the X chair is. Can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? Yeah, my X Chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? My X Chair can. It's on the L-Max massage and temperature regulation exclusively designed and made for X Chair high performance quality engineering extreme comfort these are all the reasons i love my x chair and now i can't wait to be at work sometimes even if i'm not working i just sit down and i kick it in my x chair you know to get that feeling so take my advice try x chair for yourself risk-free for 30 days once you realize how much better your chair should be you will never go back Go to xchairrome.com right now. That's the letter X, chair, R-O-M-E.com. Or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR and get 100 bucks off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. That's xchairrome.com, xchairrome.com. I've been very eager to get to this. We are joined right now by a five-time Pro Bowl player. He retired as seventh in league history in receiving yardage, seventh in league history in all-purpose yardage, 12th in league history in receptions. He is host of Cut To It podcast. He's the co-founder of the Steve Smith Family Foundation. He is an NFL Network analyst. He is Steve Smith Sr. Steve, before we talk football, I got to ask, man, how you doing? How is your life right now, Steve? Doing good, man. How you doing? Good, dude. Good, good, good. Listen, I know you're in season and you're on your grind, but I have to know, are you still hiking with the fam?
3: You know, it's it's starting to get a little chilly uh, down here in uh, Charlotte. It's
2: raining
3: uh,
0: but I'm in Indy, but,
3: you know, we're just kind of doing our thing and enjoying life. Uh, So it's going good.
0: I got you. All right, then. Steve Smith Sr. joining us. Listen, what was your reaction when you heard that Aaron Rodgers would not be playing in Sunday's game against Kansas City? What were your thoughts when you heard that?
3: Um, You know, we've heard, you know, I think the the players have done a really good job minimizing um, to the best of their ability of being exposed to COVID you know, um obviously numbers and things are going down. Uh but, you know, very rarely are we hearing quarterbacks because of um uh, how much they interact you know, they they they're touching the ball every play. So they're they're essential to making the offense go. And when Aaron Rodgers, when I heard that about Aaron Rodgers said, ooh um but I think it's also a complex answer because with everything that has been going on you know, prior to the season and this happening. uh, I'm not trying to speculate or say anything more. I just think it's very interesting. And I think uh, it it, it is going to show, you know, is it a Matt LaForce system that's being utilized to his best potential or is it Aaron Rodgers? And then what does Jordan Love do? Was he a guy that was worth moving up in the draft to get Uh, Is this, air quotes, the Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre kind of, uh, you know, uh, history repeats itself? We don't know. I'm not going to sit here and say Jordan Love had the same, in college, had the same uh, attributes that Aaron Rodgers had. But, you know, you just kind of wonder how is it going to play out long term.
0: I'll tell you what, they're going to get a look, Right. They're going to get a look. They're going to get a look right now that they ordinarily would not have gotten had this not happened. So Jordan Love is up. We're going to get a look. And because he was not vaccinated, it's not one of those deals, Steve. You know this. It's not going to be like a day and two negative tests. It's going to be a 10-day thing. So he'll get a look. Steve Smith Sr. is joining us. Steve, let me ask you about one of the other big stories right now, Odell Beckham Jr. and his role with Cleveland. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) there you go. I don't even think I need to ask you. you. You can tell me. But bottom line, I thought that was a great thing when it happened. It turned out not to be a great thing. Why? Why do you think that hasn't worked out? And you're chuckling already, so let me get your thoughts on that.
3: Well, I'm chuckling because I've been listening to everybody speculate and talk. And, you know, one of the things that never and will never get explained to it to the nth degree is the complexity, the roller coaster of what happens in a locker room between players, coaches and general managers. Good, bad, and indifferent. When you're just like being in a marriage, raising kids, being an adult, life in itself. If you keep a thermometer on life, how it goes from when you wake up till you go to sleep seven days a week, it's pretty safe to say that thermometer will will, will hit two hundred and it'll get down to eighty, you know, ninety 90 degrees or 30 degrees, it just goes up and down. And so the Odell, Cleveland Browns, Baker Mayfield, if I throw all of that into the blender and I'm making it into a smoothie, at the end of the day for the Cleveland Browns, it's a bad taste. It's not very good. It's not palatable. It's not sellable. And let's be honest, it's not making the win in the way that when you look at this roster on paper, They should be better. But for some reason, multiple reasons, actually, they are not. And Baker's not to blame, but he is not innocent. Odell is not to blame, but he is not innocent. Coach Stefanski, uh, General Manager Barry, everybody's included because you have to include everybody because when you win, you include everybody. When you lose, you include everybody. So when you have a potential divorce coming, Everyone plays a role. No one wakes up and divorced themselves. They must have had some interaction, functional, dysfunctional, with that individual to come to conclusion why things are not working out.
0: Steve Smith Sr. joining us. You put all that into a blender and you have a smoothie and it doesn't taste right. That's like one of those smoothies that's like all kale and spinach. Like that crap's good for you, but it tastes like crap, but... That one's probably not even good. It's not even good for you, right? It just didn't work. Too
3: much ginger, turmeric, all, all, all that Cayenne. stuff. Man, all that stuff we got to look up and say, what do you put that in? <laughs> and why does it go with my smoothie?
0: Right. It, de- it doesn't. And it didn't work. Let me ask you this. Steve Smith Sr., my guest, like when you look at the league right now, and you look at how wide open it is right now, now you're not a guy who's going to look back and say, like, you understand, like, timing is timing. It is what it is. You can't control that. However, I had your stats at the very top. You had one of the all-time great careers in league history. Is there any part of you that thinks, look, I get that you have a new life, but any part of you that thinks, man, if I played right now, my numbers would be so much better. My contracts would be so much bigger. It would be all different if I played today. Do you ever think that?
3: Well, I I do think that sometimes, but also like you you know when people ask me like oh do you think you make more money I I said you know on somebody's show I'll be a two hundred million dollar quarterback people are like oh he's such a tool I'm and and I love saying that sometimes because people don't understand and and they and they kind of take away and they think oh I'm just this you got to understand when I played and now today with the collective bargaining agreement ninety six percent of the cap must be spent. So when you must spend it, you must overpay. You must pay whoever it is the current rate, right? So if, if you have a player that's been to the Pro Bowl, and the guy before him two years ago got that was went to the Pro Bowl and number numbers are similar, and he gets paid, the new guy must get must set the market or be close to that, whether he deems that or not, it doesn't matter. That's the current rate. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, if we talk about let's keep Cleveland in, in, in perspective, whether you like Baker Mayfield or not, you I personally do not believe Baker Mayfield is a $200 million quarterback that that should command $86 million or $75 million guaranteed. Because when you look at even just in his division, he can never carry his team on his back like a – Joe Burrow, still young, but you see it clearly, what he's capable of doing. Lamar Jackson carries the team, right? You go with Big Ben, he's older, but when Big Ben was at his best, carried the team. Now, when we talk about Cleveland and, and, and Baker, Baker is an okay quarterback, but he's not a $2 million quarterback. He's not a $75 million guaranteed quarterback because as we see, if he gets hurt and Case Keenum comes in, he did the same thing, which is win, right? Be efficient. And, and so by me saying all that is the times change and the, price, the prices rise. But the commodity of the player, you know, it's always going to be what it is. Players are going to make a lot of money at that current time. But as time goes on, the current time, you know, inflation and all that stuff hit. So it's it's always going to be different. And I, I love the time that I played because I can crack back. I can hit. It was physical. It was fun. The game has changed. And I, I wouldn't say that I couldn't play and I can play. I enjoyed my moment that I was in. And I'm thankful because there are mo- many more moments next year in the draft that guys want to have careers like mine or just get in the league like I wanted to. So... You know, I'm 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 happy where I'm sitting, and right now I'm sitting in Indy, uh, you know, watching TV, talking to one of my favorite guys, Jim Rome, and bro, I'm sitting in t-shirt, underwear, and socks. I mean, life ain't bad.
0: <sighs> my man, Steve Smith, Senior, I appreciate you saying that. It means it means the world to me. Honestly, I want to ask you something, Steve, and I and I'm gonna respect how you answer this. Well, however, way you answer this, in a recent episode, I I mentioned that you have a podcast, the cut to it podcast. It's a really good listen. You talk to other athletes and celebrities about sports, life, and more. In a recent episode, you recently went very deep and personal on a childhood trauma. I want to be extremely respectful of this and your experience, but it's very real and it's very powerful. So I just want to ask, what was it like to talk about it and how did it feel to share that with your audience?
3: Well, you know, I had um I did some you know, I've been doing some counseling just going on doing some things where uh the I I'm not going to say the way I grew up was I was, you know, I wasn't dirt or you know, we weren't rich. We you know, we were on government assistance, right? I I lived the life of of a lot of folks that's living today, right? And man, you grow up as an adult and if you don't address those things or just literally just dig them up and see how they impact you and it really screws with you and what I mean by that is man um isolation solitude right solitude is great to visit but it's not a great place to stay right and so because of what happened I experienced I was sexually abused by by a guy he made me and his younger uh, sister basically do it right and And I had no idea, and I was, you know, I was only about eight, seven, eight, nine years old. And why that impacted me so much was, you know, back in the day before cell phones, pagers, my mom, you know, we would get phone calls at the house. And every single day that the phone rang when I was home, I always feared that they were going to say something because I, I thought it was my fault. And so I suppressed that so long to the point of, well, how did it affect me? It affect me in ways that I've always guarded myself. I guarded myself guarded from my wife, from my teammates. I, I I created this solitude, and really, what what it really was was fear. No one was safe. I was only safe by myself. And man, you got to think about an NFL football player who's on this stage who's expected contractually to interact with people. I've always had my guard up, made myself very unapproachable. And unapproachable. That me being unapproachable was the fear to guard myself because I never really felt comfortable or safe around people because of what I experienced at eight, nine years old. And I didn't really realize how that manifested itself through my life to the point of like probably the last three years, I've just really started to open up. even apologize my wife like hey I never really gave you the credit you deserve of you are trustworthy you are loyal and some of the things I realized that were qualities of her I started in our relationship resenting her because I always had my guard up and my guard being up affected how she was towards me and vice versa and it just became this perpetual cycle that ultimately it started from me at nine years old
0: my guy right when I thought that I couldn't admire or respect or like you any more than I already did you have that like I I can't tell you how much I respect you sharing that really quickly Steve can you talk about just the the importance of asking for help I mean you you're you're brought up in this climate and this culture of being you know tough and macho and football like you you don't ever share that you're any weakness or that you need help how important is it just to ask for help whoever you are if you need help
3: i mean it's extremely it's extremely helpful to ask for help but it's also to sit down and not when you ask for help you don't ask from everybody not everybody needs to know your business right but asking particular people and certain people that are safe enough to help you go through this process because when you come out on the other side is freeing and for me I didn't realize till about three four years ago what I experienced was sexual abuse because when we think of sexual abuse we think of you know kids being molested we have this gruesome picture it is but then there's other facets of it that we don't really say it and I think guys are young men are more susceptible because we are taught to be macho and don't be a punk, and don't be this. And sometimes, man, just realizing, just kind of going, like, you know, it's funny, as <laughs> I I was talking to a buddy a couple of week, days ago, and I said, man, heading moving forward into 2022, man, I want to enjoy life. I also want to kind of relax and drop the unapproachableness and, like, the tough guy and just kind of go, man, I just want to live life. And, you know, when I come up against things that, Kind of rub me the wrong way. I take a step back, I assess it, and I remove myself from it. And then if I don't agree with that, whether it be a friendship or financial uh, situation or business thing, if it doesn't align or det- detracts me from where I'm trying to go, man, sidestep it, swim move, say you don't want to be a part of it, move on, and don't look back because I, was, I can't spend so much energy and time that I've used to use on talking people down and cussing them out and all that stuff. It's like, man, I'm just gonna live life, bro, and and enjoy life, and the people that get on my nerves and leave them at the next red light and and move on.
0: (laughs) Dude, it's so good. It's so, so good. I love that so much. Don't get hooked, man. Don't get caught up. Life is too short. Let's not use all this energy. I'm not even, yes, I agree with you. Sidestep, swim, move, enjoy life. He is a five-time Pro Bowl player. I ran down the stats. He is host of Cut To It Podcast, which is an amazing listen. The co-founder of the Steve Smith Family Foundation and an NFL Network analyst. My man, I appreciate you so much, Steve. Thank you so much, dude. I
3: I want to tell you, man, uh, it hasn't come out yet. I'm having an event in Charlotte. It's a private event. but the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear, man, down there in Charlotte, we are actually building a behavioral health urgent care that will be open 24 hours a day, 365 days that helps the uninsured, insured kids, adults, every mental health problem there is, medical medication management, all of that. We're building a huge eight to ten thousand square foot facility down there, It'll be open in twenty twenty two for the county, uh the Mecklenburg County, and we possibly may be doing multiple ones in Charlotte.
0: Man, that is tremendous. Congratulations. Well, well done. I appreciate you sharing that here, Steve. Thank you very much for that. Good luck with that. And I'll look forward to talking to you more about that project as well. Steve, thank you so much, man. Great appreciate job. It. Appreciate you, Steve Smith, Sr.